Thank you for being in our session this afternoon. We're a little bit past the time, and I don't want to go over. I want to leave plenty of time for questions at the end. My name is Jim Moore. I'm the Technical Support Supervisor at Samaritan's Purse in Boone, North Carolina. And with me is... Jenny Wood. I'm the Executive Director of TEC, which is an acronym for Technical Exchange for Christian Healthcare. And we're going to talk to you today about actually a title that GMHC asked us to use, the ABCs of Appropriate Medical Equipment for Hospitals and Clinics. Um, the key word here today that we're going to talk about is appropriate. Many of you have probable needs, or you're here with an idea of opening a clinic or a hospital uh, and your mission support, and you're looking for sources for that equipment. What we want to do is try to get you to leave here today with a better understanding of not only how to choose that equipment appropriately, but where to get it from. And so we're going to talk to you with the ABCs. We'll begin today with the A portion of that, which is ask the right questions. And we're going to evaluate medical projects that you may be trying to do. Uh, we receive a lot of requests at my ministry. There are many other ministries that do provide medical equipment and supplies. We receive a lot of requests, and we always, we always have to try to educate those asking. And so today we're going to give you some examples of the typical requests that we get and, and arm you with the information you need to make the right decisions as to how to outfit your clinic or your hospital or your medical facility uh, in the field. Okay? First of all, we're going to start with A. Ask the right questions. There's an example uh, that Jenny is going to give us uh, right now of a typical request that we receive at my ministry and others for uh, a need in the field. This is an actual email that came into the tech office. It says, Dear Tech, I am, introduces their name, the clinical administrator at a clinic in Haiti. We will be opening our clinic in March and are currently obtaining equipment and supply needs in order to do so. If this is something your organization is able to assist me in, please send me a list of everything you have available. You may contact me at the below information. So she told us basically that they're working in Haiti, but, but nothing about their clinic or what they're going to be doing there, the size of their clinic, or what their precise needs are. So asking the right question, her asking the right questions would have been very helpful before she made the request to my organization for assistance. We have some tools available that would help ask, those right question, or ask the right questions, like the survey you see in front of you. This survey is a survey that we suggest using, and it asks things about the uh, hospital itself, the facility, the environment, uh, available electricity, available water, the medical needs, and a list of what equipment is already in, in inventory at that facility. Now, that survey might scare you if you're not a hospital engineer. You might be just an administrator. But believe me, if you go to the right people, you can find out the answers. If you present that survey to someone like us, then we know how big the facility is, what the environment is like in the country that you're going to be working in, and then we can help you begin to make decisions 
about the equipment that you really need. Um, we're going to start off with uh, the first thing that we recommend that you do after you've gotten the survey and you've got as much of that survey filled out as you can. And we feel that the key word for you here today is network. Now, what does network mean? Let's talk about that. Networking means that you don't have to recreate the wheel. A lot of other people have built hospitals. You may, you may, in fact, be building a hospital right down the street from someone else that built a hospital. I've had requests in uh, countries where they say there's no other hospital in the area that's treating children. And I go there to visit and find out on the way to the hospital, I pass by two others that are already there. Uh, one's run by, well, I won't mention churches, but different church organizations, and they don't recognize the fact that they're also doing the same thing in that country. But networking. There are probably quite a few networks out there and association, group associations that work together and can help you. Um, the one I'm most familiar with is on the screen, but there are others. And the advantages of working with an association is, like Jim said, there are others out there who have done what you're trying to do and will have a lot of uh, experience and information that they can share with you. This particular association has over 120 members, and these are Christian medical relief organizations that all partner together, helping each other obtain the resources they need in order to complete their own individual projects. So by joining an association, it gives you usually at your fingertips, this organization works um, electronically through an interactive website and email, gives you that information at your fingertips and saves you a lot of time and energy with trying to find the things you need and the answers to questions that may come up simply by allowing you to tap into this network and get uh, help from those, like I said, that have a little bit more experience and probably the answers to to what you need. In, in many of the associations that are out there, like this one, um, the association is, uh, the strength of these associations is the um, members that they have and the variety of their members. Some of the members uh, will provide expertise in different areas, such as medical equipment repair or lab equipment or pharmaceuticals or wheelchairs or uh, water filters, all the things that may come up and you may have a need of later not know where to go, by tapping into that network, um, somebody will be able to help you and point you in the right direction. So don't try to recreate the wheel. Uh, there are other people that have already done it. Many of them have done it many times over. Some people have done it and failed because they didn't ask the right questions up front. So getting the resources that you need and where they need to go is what we want to talk about today. Finding the right provider may be a combination of getting your stuff as donations by getting it from medical missions organizations, many of which have booths downstairs and here on this floor. Um, medical equipment vendors. Uh, I have relationships at our ministry with many vendors that sell to us at a much better price than the public pays. We have a large hospital in my town, and I can't tell the guys at the hospital what I pay for stuff because they have to pay more for it because some companies will give you breaks on, on medical equipment prices. And, of course, in the manufacturers. You can actually approach manufacturers in the mission field, and you can say, look, I'm starting a, pro, a, a clinic up in Angola. 
and I wondered if you'd sell me or even donate to me equipment for that clinic. And you never know. Sometimes a doctor with a good project will get a manufacturer to help them. Lastly, one of the biggest problems and headaches that we have at our ministry is it's sometimes easy to get equipment, and it may be the right equipment, but getting it moved from here to the place that it needs to go to. So uh, packing and shipping is, is an issue that has to be considered in planning your project. So don't try to recreate the wheel until you ask all the right people. There are um, many organizations out there that can provide what you need. These are just some of the contact information. And most of the folks listed on these lists are a part of an association, which is one of the benefits of belonging to an association. You'll have direct access to these people. Um, there's people that provide specifically medical equipment, medical supplies, lab equipment, pharmaceuticals, wheelchairs, dental insurance, something you may not uh, even think about as you're planning your uh, overseas projects, uh, training programs in HIV AIDS, and then shipping, as Jim said, which is very important. You need a reliable shipping company that has experience going into different countries and shipping for nonprofit organizations. So let's, let's stop right here just for a moment and summarize what we've said so far because I, I want to keep you on track with the, the right process. We have uh, learned to ask the right questions, hopefully. Uh, the survey that we gave you or that you have a copy of will we'll ask many of those questions, and you can make up your own survey if you want to. But if you call me or you call a supplier of lab equipment or you call a supplier of x-ray equipment or you call a, a, a ministry that, that does collect supplies, they're going to need to know that information. So we've asked the right questions. Next, we need to evaluate what the medical needs are. And we're going to try to talk a little more about this as time goes on. But uh, the person that I want to ask what you need in your clinic is not the administrator. The person I want to ask is the doctor. And so many times the question I ask the doctor, I say, okay, doctor, you're going to open this clinic. What are you going to do there? Well, we're going to treat patients. Okay, well, let me, let me start over again. Are you going to birth babies? Uh, yeah, we're going to birth babies. Okay. That tells me kind of what equipment you're going to need. Are you going to do any bones or orthopedics? Oh, no, we're not, we're not advanced. We don't really have an operating room. I said, so an x-ray machine might be something that you probably couldn't use. No, I don't think we're ready for an x-ray machine yet. We'd like an x-ray machine, but the power is really bad. We, we checked our power in our country, and we don't really have enough power for an x-ray machine. Well, we can talk about that, but we've asked the right questions. We want to evaluate the medical needs. Find out what you're going to be treating in that particular facility. The survey asks questions like, what are the typical diseases? What are the typical treatments that you're doing in this country? Uh, we're going to provide you with some lists here in a moment on some of these further sheets of what you need for this level or this level or this level of care and some, some general ideas and guidelines for what that equipment is going to look like. We've, we've given you a list that we know of of several resources. Uh, I've, I know of a couple of places, uh, a, a ministry in Oklahoma that uh, does relief work, and they have a hospital in their area, and they have a couple of other ministries in their area, so they have four or five, a small network that exists there that they use as their source and their supplier and even their shipper. A lot of people ship out of Houston. So in that area of Texas and Oklahoma, there may be enough people for you to network together and do what you need to do. The ones that we've mentioned are national, and they ship around the world, and they work in a lot of different countries. So we've tapped into the network uh, resources. Now we need to focus on the specific needs of your particular clinic or your hospital. So if you look at the next slide, here's a, uh, a needs list that I, 
I probably uh, would recommend that every clinic has. Um, I do a lot of hospital surveys, and I walk into an OR, and I see what they don't have and what I think they need, but I always talk to the physician. But here you can see we have blood pressure cuffs for both adults and peds. We have a, a, a means of sterilization. Now, there are lots of different kinds of sterilizers. I just came from Congo on Sunday, and in Congo, the sterilizer we use runs on charcoal. Anybody ever seen a charcoal sterilizer? It worked great because a sterilizer pulls a lot of electrical power, and if you don't have a lot of electrical power, you've got to come up with heat from somewhere. So the sterilizers that we, we send look sort of like my mom's pressure cooker that we canned green beans when I was a kid. It's pretty much the same type of unit. But you've got to have some way of sterilizing instruments. An exam table, exam light, a surgical table possibly for either uh, actually doing surgery, even if it's minor surgery, or if you're doing a lot of birthing is, is a big issue in, in a lot of the places we go. IV pose, a pulse, and an otoscope, a thomoscope set. There's a, an essential or what we call practical needs list. Now here we have uh, some, some little easy spreadsheets that break down. If you look at this, these columns, here are the exam items, and the far left is a field ER medicine list. It only lists three things. You're traveling. Uh, our, my ministry puts together a doctor's bag that we provide, and it has in it just the really basic items to do emergency medicine in the field. You step up to the next one. Here's one that also adds an exam table and an exam light, uh, which is a basic uh, item for, for exam. Next level, we add a pulse oximeter and an ECG recorder. And then the last level, we're adding an ultrasound and some endoscopes. So all these, you have to decide with what level of treatment you're going to provide, what equipment you need to add, because you can spend $8,000 for a good gastroscope, one that's been refurbished. You can spend $20,000 for a new gastroscope, just for one device. So you have to decide, do I need a gastroscope? It's one of the most common pieces that I'm asked for. And we provide them sometimes when I get a good one that's donated and we can refurbish it. But it's a tough piece of equipment to provide because everybody's on a tight budget. Okay? Let's look over some of these other sheets. I don't want to go over these because they're pretty common sense. Uh, here's one for ER, um, depending on the four levels that you want. The last level, you'll notice we added an X-ray, an IV pumps, oxygen concentrators, a cast cutter. Uh, your clinic and your hospital, you need to determine whether or not those are things you need. Let's go back a minute to Jenny's uh, email. Uh, these folks asked for us to provide them a list of everything we have in our warehouse and then let them pick and choose what they need. Now, I don't have any problem giving someone uh, a dermatome if they know what a dermatome is used for. But I, I'm afraid that sometimes they'll check off dermatome and they're not sure what it is, and we'll send them this device and they won't have anyone there that's shown them how to do any plastic surgery. So they're, they're not going to need a dermatome. It's not that we're trying to police the folks that are asking for stuff, but my ministry, we never publish what we have in inventory. I ask you to send us a wish list. This is what we need, and then you've already done the work to decide what, what that equipment list looks like. And this is for surgery. And then here's one for OB work. These are just recommended working lists, okay? This is a little cartoon we found, um, if you can read it. 
You'll notice that at the bottom it says, Ha, the poor devil is no match for our advanced weapon systems. So you have these two guys who are going to take out this huge elephant with just some small spears. Well, it can work the other way. I've seen clinics that ask for a machine gun to kill mosquitoes. You've got to have the right medical equipment to perform the right need. I met a lady in, uh, in Haiti once when I was there traveling, and she was going around the country, and she was carrying in her possession an audiometer. Okay, everybody knows what that is. It's a little tool that you hook up to a patient and you test their hearing. And she's been there two or three weeks, and she's been traveling all over Haiti, and she was measuring hearing capabilities of children. It touched her heart. That's what she wanted to do. So I saw her at Haiti Baptist Mission Hospital, and I said, uh, I said, what have you been doing? She said, I've been doing hearing tests all over Haiti, and I've recognized all these children that need help. I said, that's great. What are you doing about it? Oh, I don't, I don't really have a plan to treat them. And I said, well, then who gave you the audiometer, and what purpose are you serving doing hearing tests? Okay? So if you have a machine that you're going to use, make sure that you have the capability of treating the patient. Everything has to work hand in hand. I want to ask you a question. Uh, I, I travel in a lot of different countries, and for a while there I was doing a lot of hospital surveys. And usually when I, when I arrive, the hospital administrator you know, shakes my hand, and we go to his office, and they always have chai or tea. And we sit and we drink some tea, and then I pull out my clipboard, and I say, okay, tell me what is the number one piece of equipment that you need for your hospital. I always get the same answer. Guess what it is he asks me? That's it. MRI is always number one. CAT scan's always number two. And I write it down as if I'm going to provide these. <laughs> and, and we keep going down the list, and he covers kidney dialysis machines, and he covers, you know, surgical, all this stuff. So I get my top 20, and then we leave, and we go tour the hospital. And I go around all these rooms and all these departments, and they have names over the door that says dialysis center, and you go in, there's nothing there, but two doctors waiting on a dialysis machine. And so we come back to his uh, office, and I've made my list. And I think the comment goes something like this. Uh, Doc, I'd really love to be able to give you an MRI machine. But you know, even if you had the capability of one, and we gave you one, at a cost of about a million dollars, I don't really see that you could do much for helping these people because once you do the study, you can't treat the patient. My my guess is you'd save five or six lives a year. But you know what? I could give you 100 blood pressure cuffs and you'd save 500 lives a year. Or I could give you a water purification system for your lab or some pipettes for your lab. I go into labs and I don't know if you know what a pipette's used for but it's a, it's a device plunger that you use to draw samples. I saw people using a pipette with a piece of tubing in there. The question I asked the doctor, I said, how many of your lab staff come down with infection? And it ran like 40%. Because they didn't have any pipettes. So I rush home and I call Ed Boss at Worldwide Lab and Ed, send me 10 pipettes. They don't cost that much. And so I sent them to the hospital. Wants versus needs. Why do you think this doctor wanted an MRI? Someone tell me. Excuse me? 
Now, I'm sure he would like to have had a machine, but there was not a machine in the entire country. And he knew that if he got that machine, it would put him in the level of care. You know? um, I walked into the hospital in Mongolia once, and there was a, in the lab, I walked in around, turned the corner at the top of the stairs. Here's this Beckman chemistry analyzer. This tall, 12 feet long, Beckman colors. It was an automatic machine that came out of a hospital in Miami. It had been there three years, and they had put it in the hallway. And it was nice, nice and shiny and pretty, and I looked, and it wasn't plugged in. They asked me if I'd take a look at it, see if I'd get it working. It had been donated, and someone paid a lot of money to ship it there, and they just used it for effect, to look good in the lab. So you're looking at a cultural issue that what we're trying to do here is to Folks, stop sending that kind of equipment to the third world. Stop giving things that are just that look good. Even if you find someone that has, because I get offers once a month for a CT scanner. We're going to give you this CT scanner. Do you want it? No. You know why? Because I know what it will cost to deinstall it, crate it, bring it to our warehouse and boom, calibrate it, convert the power to 50 hertz to 30 ship it to Angola, reinstall it, get it up and running, and then when I leave, there will be no one there that knows how to fix it. What does that cost out of curiosity? Sir? What does that cost you just mentioned there out of curiosity? A CT scan uh, donated the cost for me to to move it and install it and get it up and running again would be about $250,000. Okay? And the machine's probably worth about two fifty. So you've got a half a million dollars invested in a machine, and then unless, and I don't know too many countries that have power that's stable enough for the remote places that we go. Now you go into a big city like Nairobi, the government hospital there probably has a CT scanner. But guess who maintains it? The company that sold it to them. Siemens has their own machine that they put in the hospital and they service it and maintain it. And then they receive the income from the tests. That's about the only way that it usually works. There are very few places in the mission field that can use a machine like that. Next slide. Oh, we're looking at it. I'm sorry. Jenny's got it up. Here we have a picture of a, I believe that's a CT or an MRI CT machine. There's a, there's a want, and the need is obviously the stethoscope. Um, you, you can raise the level of health care greatly by just sending these folks good stethoscopes, good blood pressure cuffs, good pulse oximeters, good small portable monitors that can show ECG, good uh, temperature monitors, uh, and I can go on and on. Good operating room tables that actually will adjust up and down that aren't just built. Good infant incubators. There's a tremendous need for incubators in the third world. But a new infant incubator in the States costs six or seven grand at best. So you're going to need to look for a refurbishment. These uh, pictures right below here are two photos that I think uh, Jenny's husband Rick took for us. I think one on the left is in Guatemala and the one on the right is in India. Now if you were to walk into those two operating rooms, you're going to see a tremendous difference in the type of equipment and the age and the cost of that equipment. But all the equipment was refurbished and it all works well, but one will cost a lot more than the other. But 
the supplier either didn't have a lot, of, you didn't really have a lot of money, and so you can get by with what's on the left, it works fine. You see there's an oxygen tank in the back? That's a cheap way of providing O2 in the operating room. The one on the right, I think, has piped gases. So if you have 30 or 40,000 to spend and putting pipe gas systems in your operating rooms in your hospital, then spend it. It's great. It's like what we have here. But you can do it for a lot less money. Get the advice from people that do this so that you can put together the real cost. Two years ago, an organization down in Florida was asked to uh, evaluate the needs and then um, equip an OR suite in Ukraine. And they actually did five operatories there in Ukraine, and they partnered through an association with several other organizations that were part of that network, and they fully equipped with all in operating theaters that look similar to the one there in India. They did five of those for a cost of $90,000. It's an incredible, incredible project that these organizations all worked together, helped each other get the things that they needed. That included the shipping and the installation. It was an amazing project, but just by talking to the right people, asking the right questions, and networking, they were able to, to build these five operating suites for $90,000. Now, don't leave here and quote that figure. <laughs> because the next time they try to do it, it may be more or it may be even less, because you never know what's available that's this for you. Okay. Let's move on to C, which is counting the cost. You know, the scriptures refer to this. You know, we count the cost before we step out in faith. Measure what you have and what, what methods you're going to need to, to get what you need. We've pretty much covered a, a budget down through the first four items. But let's look at the, the, the fourth, fifth item down. It says uh, include refurbishing costs accessories, shipping needs. Um, this is something that many times gets missed. Um, i give you an example. Um, I used to do anesthesia service in my hospital. The cost of maintaining an anesthesia machine per year runs about 10% of the cost of the machine to do PMs and calibrators. Outside of a dialysis machine, an anesthesia machine will probably kill someone quicker than anything else if it's not properly maintained. Okay. So you're going to take this general anesthesia machine, you're going to stick it in a field hospital in the Congo, and you're going to put people to sleep with it. If it's not maintained properly, they'll stay asleep. Okay. Uh, so you've got this machine that someone gave you. You've got this donor that's ready to pay to ship it to Congo. And you get it over there in one piece, and it works fine when it arrives. And then you find out that you have to spend $500 a year, $300 a year on maintenance. Because if you don't, it may work fine the first year, but the second year it may fail. And so you need someone who's able to come in and do a preventive maintenance on that machine. And you find out you don't have anyone. And it's going to cost you a fortune to hire someone to come in and do it. So what are your options? You have a few. Number one, maybe you shouldn't have sent it. <laughs> there are other ways of doing anesthesia besides putting people to sleep. And if you'll talk to some of the anesthetists that do mission anesthesia, they can tell you ways. And I'm not the expert. 
But having general anesthesia in the field is, a, is biting off a big chunk, and that's just one area of service. Um, accessories. Uh, we're doing, uh, we're taking a team to Mongolia every year and doing open-heart surgery using a heart-lung bypass machine that we provided. I did an assessment this year, though, while I was there, and I found out that the cost of all the supplies needed to do one OR case using a heart-lung bypass machine, all the disposables, the, um, the uh, oxygenators and everything that you need to do a bypass case runs around $2,000. Those are throwaway stuff, things that you've got to have to do the cases. So do you want to try to introduce that level of surgery in a country? Even though you can get a free bypass machine, a free anesthesia machine, and a team to go over, but you haven't measured the cost of the accessories that you're going to have to buy each time you do a case. And so people make the mistake of trying to outfit a surgery room or an x-ray room, an imaging room, without the cost of upkeep and maintenance and support. And lastly, we mentioned the word free. And free is always, it's not exactly free. So as you guys want to outfit your clinics and your hospitals with better and more advanced care equipment, you've got to measure what that cost is going to be down the road, not just to get it there and get it working. Okay? So really, to me, the biggest issue, and Jenny has an example I wanted to share with you for a second here, you have to evaluate anything that you're going to install when it gets to the field. I've shipped things overseas. I just, I just was in a trip, and we shipped the system overseas, and a crate was dropped. Does anybody know what a C-arm is? It's a big x-ray machine with a big thing like this that goes around the patient. Well, we sent a C-arm to this one location, and the container arrived in the jungle hospital, and they saw how heavy it was, and they realized, man, this is going to be tough to move. Guess how they removed the C-arm from the container? They tied a rope to the C-arm, they tied a rope to a tree, and they drove the truck out from under the C-arm and tried to catch it as it came down. $40,000 C-arm was, was destroyed in transit. So number one, it, did it arrive complete and in good condition? We checked. No. Did it meet the intended needs? It probably would have. We, we've sent a couple of C-arms to places where there was no one really there that knew how to use it or didn't have, couldn't benefit from the application of that machine. Is it being operated and supported correctly? Uh, my favorite piece of equipment to pick on is a kidney dialysis machine. We've had example after example of folks who want to start doing dialysis in the field. Hemodialysis is a key piece of equipment for many hospitals overseas. But it requires so many things to support it in the field. First of all, you have to have a trained dialysis nurse, and you can find those. Uh, you have to have a water supply that is pure. Most dialysis systems have what we call an RO unit that is placed in the room where the dialysis is done or on the back of the machine. It produces extremely fine and clean water. If you hook that dialysis machine up to tap water, you'll start seeing patients not do well. And lastly, a dialysis machine typically needs a biomed to look at it about, what do you think, Jim? Twice a month? I used to get calls about once a week on hours. And I would go in and I would tweak and tune and, and calibrate the dialysis machine. 
So you've got to have a guy who's factory trained to take care of those machines on site. So if you don't have all three of those in place, your dialysis machines are only going to work for a few weeks. Then you're going to have a room full of patients and you can't treat them. You had good intentions, but you didn't count the cost. Two years ago, I did a workshop here on appropriateness and where to get equipment for your overseas hospital. And the workshop was attended by a gentleman from a very large church in a very large city in the United States. And that church had been given $1 million to build a hospital in a region of Africa. And they purchased the property and started the building and started looking for all the equipment. And they spent every dime of the million dollars. And then he came to the Global Mission Health Conference to get some more information because he didn't have any medical background and he wasn't really sure what he was doing. So after attending the workshop, he came up afterwards and he said, we're in trouble. And told me that they had spent all of this money. And when we got to the part on sustainability, he realized that they had purchased most of what they needed, but not all. And they had not considered what would happen when after it was delivered and they walked away from it. They had no idea what would happen if anything broke down. They didn't know who was going to operate the equipment. They didn't know anything at all other than they had spent the $1 million and had a shipment ready to go. And he said, I think we need to put this project on hold. And I said, I think you're right. And they did. Uh, at this point, two years later, the hospital still has not been completed. Uh, and because they still don't have all of the people, all of the resources, and a plan for sustaining that hospital, they would have probably been able to run that hospital for a very short amount of time until the first thing broke down and they had no plan to get it back up and running again. So to ask the right questions and consider the cost and have a long-term follow-up and sustainability plan. Spare parts, um, disposables that go along with equipment, uh, can run the cost of equipment up drastically. You may be given this beautiful device, and then you find out that the reagents for this lab chemistry analyzer that you have received free cost $1,500 for a five-gallon bucket of stuff that you need to do chemistries. And you don't know that until you've asked the right questions. So network with people. They'll tell you about another chemistry analyzer that will do just what you need, and it uses these little dry <coughs> chemical packs that you push in the machine and it works. Now, it takes longer to do the test, but it's not the right machine for the mission field. So an awful lot of wonderful equipment that works fine here in Louisville, when you pick it up and you carry it to Africa and you sit it down and you try to use it, will not work. So how do you know which equipment will work and which won't? You network. We can tell you. Others can tell you. I don't know everything. My wife thinks I do. I don't know everything, but I know where to call and find out what will work and what I need and where I can get it. Let me just say that that church is partnering with other organizations now, and they are coming close to being able to finish that project now. So that's the, the rest of the story. So if you're going to be the provider, uh, this, this slide here is probably the, the thing that's most important. The work you do is your testimony. If you give people junk, now it isn't junk when it leaves here, it isn't junk when it arrives, but a week later after it's there and they can't use it anymore, they consider it junk. And so our motto is, no junk for Jesus, you've seen a little sticker. 
And it's junk not because it wasn't a good working device. It was junk because we didn't measure all the costs. We didn't understand that we made the mistake of sending it without verifying everything first. Okay? Now it's time for questions. Have you any good resources for owner's manuals? Owner's manuals. Yeah. I have a large library of equipment that dates back to 1979, I guess, that we try to reproduce. And we copy, copy expenses can get high. But we and other, there's some other organizations that collect uh, old manuals. Always, you know, hospitals typically donate us equipment and they forget to send us the manuals. So some manuals, most new equipment comes with a CD or you can go online and get manuals. So you know, operational manuals at least, uh, service manuals sometimes are a little tougher to come across. Tech has access to about 4,000 manuals that are available, and the way their exchange works on that is you request the specific manual that you need, and if it's available, it'll be duplicated and sent to you for the cost of exact cost of duplicating and shipping it to you. So not every manual is out there. If the manual is not available, it may be that the equipment that you have shouldn't be going overseas. That's usually an indication that it's so old that. Even if you have a manual, you might not be able to get the part you need. Is there, let's say you purchase a piece of equipment such as like basic plane fill, you know, extra machine, and you've got the money so you maintain it, and you're in another country who does maintain that. Are you, are you left on your own to find somebody to come do service to it? Um, what resources are there after saying, hey, I've got this piece of equipment, I can afford to have it, I need it, but how do you keep it up and work in good condition? Well, what I would do if you called me, I would ask you, what is the machine that you're buying? Okay, what brand is it? Uh, we have an awful lot of folks that are giving away x-ray machines in the U.S. To give you an example, if the name on the machine says Picker, take it out back and dig a hole and bury it. Don't put it in your truck and take it to Africa. Because Picker went out of business 15 years ago, and anybody that, that sold Picker parts, they buried them a long time ago. So you can't get a part for that machine. So what we first have to do is to do a little bit of research on what is a machine that I can still support. Uh, I have x-ray technician that works for me. He's very good. But he'll, he'll tell you that there's only certain devices that will work well in the third world. An x-ray machine, for instance, comes from the U.S. with transformers that work at 60 hertz. Okay? Forget the voltage. Frequency is the key. When you plug it in in a 50 hertz environment, it'll either blow up or... It won't work. So someone's got to convert that machine to 50 hertz. It can cost $1,000 to $3,000 just to do that conversion. So, but once that conversion's done, I wouldn't do the conversion unless I know that your machine would be a good one to take overseas. Again, we're back to their first point, network. Ask someone about whether the machine that you've been offered is one that you actually want to take overseas. But once you get it over there, if it's one that we feel like that would be a good one for you to take, uh, I've got two or three machines in Africa right now waiting on us to go over and work on. So we have service people with us. There's other organizations. Sometimes you can talk to an x-ray company, and, and we have uh, volunteer technicians from GE and from others. Uh, Trimedics, I think, does it. Trimedics. Yeah, sometimes they will have technicians that if you let them know, look, I'm a missionary, and I've got a hospital in Kenya, I've got an x-ray machine down, here's a model, and you got somebody that will go over I'll help pay for the cost of them to come or something like that. 
You'd be surprised how many people are eager to go and help you. So imagine some of these machines, not even breaking down, they Yeah, X-ray machines are pretty rugged. They don't really require a frequent PM. The same part of that question, you know, in the U.S., I can't put an X-ray machine in my office without 60 miles of radiation data safety, you know. We don't need that overseas. (laughs) You all run any government issues? No, they're just happy to get it. Someone else? Yes, sir. What do you do about providing information for uh, the support of the consumable goods for the place if you're not familiar with what they have available? Consumable goods continues to change. We have come up with so much disposable stuff in an operating room. We're still looking for people that have lemons. Because overseas, it doesn't make any sense to load a container with disposable uh, surgical drapes, because that's all we use in the U.S. is paper disposable surgical drapes. You can't spend $10,000 for a container of paper to send to Kenya to do surgery because as soon as the paper's gone, they need another $10,000 container. So we're, we're still trying to work in the old world with a lot of disposables. But medical supplies, this list that I gave you, there are numbers of ministries that collect medical supplies. Actually, practically anyone can collect supplies. And the only thing you need to worry about, is it still viable? Is it still within a date issue? Uh, dates, uh, expiration dates are becoming more of an issue in a lot of countries. If you ship a crate of uh, something into Asia or Africa, or even South America, and it's out of date, depending on the country, they won't let it in. That's getting tighter and tighter all the time. The World Health Organization is establishing guidelines for what should be allowed to go into a country. So someone may give you a box of sutures, and it says expired on February 4th, 1994, First of all, I don't know if I want it put in me. But if you try to go through a customs office and they see that, they're probably not going to let you send it in. So try to make sure that the supplies you get at least are within date. But there are many supplies. Supplies are usually easier to get, too. A lot of companies, if you call a company that makes a product and you tell them you need it for missions, many of them will give you uh, short-dated items or items that they have overages. Hospitals are... Nuts, they switch from one IV company to the other just because they like the color of the pumps. They're blue, they're green. So they've got all these supplies sitting there that they're going to throw away. If you are if you're, if you work in the healthcare industry and you're in a hospital or you know someone that does, just tell them to keep their eyes open in that hospital and walk outside the dumpster and see what they're throwing away. That's where I get a lot of my stuff. <laughs> because of what they're, they're throwing away and they don't know anybody who wants it. Okay? Does that answer your question? I'm looking more for things like um, also lamps and batteries. I don't want to be the one that has to continue to supply these people with them. I want to sustain themselves and to find avenues for them to be able to support these things. Well, we try to do that in, in my ministry. Uh, we have there's companies in the U.S. that will actually sell. One of the companies listed in here is DRE, and they're here in Louisville. And DRE, I think he told me 40% of his business is overseas now. Or maybe 60%. Anyway, a good portion of DRE's uh, sales is out of the U.S. because they're a very reputable company and, and, and I think they're selling equipment. I don't know if they're selling parts. But um, there's companies in the U.S. that will call me and give you the names of the suppliers that make batteries and light bulbs and uh, Jim Lawford back in International Aid. He has all these contacts for parts. Uh, those are things that you're just going to have to buy because a surgical lamp can cost you $300 you know, to replace. So that's a good question. I'll bring it up. There are light sources that doctors use for their headlamps. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's a quartz halogen lamp. 
the lamps cost $25. But there's a xenon light source, the lamp costs $800. So guess which one I give the doctor? The cheap one. Because the difference is not that much. And I'm not going to provide him with $800 at all every time his lamp goes out. So we try not to send xenon lamps overseas because you can't afford the bulbs. And you wouldn't know that unless you talk to someone who does what we do. So a lot of the xenon stuff actually is changing now. They're going to, what's the new, new lamp they got out? It's cheaper. Okay. Other questions? Yes, sir. You didn't mention any cost-benefit analysis of purchasing locally from Toshiba, Hitachi, Philips, Siemens, or who have partner servicing in country? Yeah, I didn't, and I should have. A gentleman here from India, we were talking before the conference. India is one of those countries that are very particular what they allow to come into their country. I have a hospital in Mumbai that we've helped quite a bit, and the hospital needed some infant incubators. Well, I can get a rebuilt incubator here in the U.S., ship it to India. India is going to charge me $1,200 customs fee just for that one incubator to come into the country. In India, I can buy a brand-new infant incubator for $1,200. So the math doesn't work. So I don't send too many containers to India. Now, I have some friends that know someone in the government that their brother-in-law is in the customs department, and he can get a container in for free. So it's all politics. Yeah, we recommend sometimes in Egypt and some other countries that we work in, we recommend that you look at the cost of that device in-country compared to the cost here and what you're going to have to pay for customs and freight. Sometimes you're better off to purchase in-country, but then what you buy in-country may be junk. So there again, you have to decide what's best. OR tables are being manufactured in China right now. You can buy a pretty nice OR table for $3,000, $2,500 in China. You may need to not buy another one next year. But we can get a Steris OR table that's been refurbished by chosen one of the list of organizations here that's in AMSCO that will last 20 years and will never break. It's been refurbished for $1,500. So the cost comparison is something you should do if you're actually the person who's making the decision about what you're going to buy and where you're going to get it from. The back. Do you all have programs to train technicians like biotechs? There's an organization that has been doing that for a number of years, International Aid in Spring Lake, Michigan. They have programs in Ghana, the Philippines, Honduras, and somewhere else. They're actually not closed. International Aid is operating, and Jim Loffer in the back row is a representative of International Aid. And Jim, if you'd explain. We're not closed. We're still shipping medical equipment and healthcare products. In answer to the medical equipment training program question specifically, our training program is shut down right now. But we do have the curriculum still, and we're waiting to restart it. There is another organization who is writing curriculum for biomedical electronic technician training, and that is Engineering World Health at Duke University. They're starting to develop that curriculum. Right now, the International Aid program in Ghana, Honduras, Philippines are not operating. But we are sending medical equipment from Spring Lake, Michigan 
when I travel to the field uh, and I do an installation, that's one of the things that we try to do. We try to train the staff at the hospital to do as much of the maintenance that would be normally needed. And uh, a lot of times I'll say, okay, do you have a bomb lid here? What is that? Um, do you have anyone that takes care of your medical equipment? No. Do you have, who's the guy you call when this light bulb burns out? Oh, that's Fred. Okay, have Fred come here. And so I can take Fred and I can show Fred the typical things that break on most equipment that we have. Uh, automatic blood pressure machine. It's got an electronic core, a power supply, and little lights on the front. Those things he doesn't touch. But there's some rubber hoses that come off the back that go to a cuff. And most of the time, all that's wrong with them is there's a leak in the hose and a leak in the cuff where you just need to turn it off and turn it back on again. So I show Fred where the fuses are and how to check the cuff for leaks. So that'll take care of 80% of the problems that go wrong with that machine. Because if I'm in country and the motherboard goes out in that machine, I can't fix it either, you see. So what we try to do on site is every machine that we provide is we teach someone the basic skills of troubleshooting. And now we have... Uh, we have a lot of countries with the capability of computers and Skype, and you can take a Skype with a camera, and we can actually train a guy in, you know, in South Africa with the Skype camera to what to do to take this apart and take this out and pull this board and send it to me, and I'll send a repair part back. So we, we're getting better at that. But uh, until international aid gets their program back up, I'm afraid formal training for biomeds is, is pretty, pretty tough to provide. Anyone else? You have to mention the feasibility of running equipment off generators versus power grids. I just put in uh, a solar energy system in Congo this week. Uh, solar panels, battery bank, power inverters. And we fed that to a hospital. We can provide enough energy with that whole system to run an operating room for six hours. If you have money, that can be done. Well, it's hard to tell you because uh, the, the, we don't really charge for what we do. But the equipment would be bought. So for roughly twelve dollars to $15,000, you can put in a solar energy system that will provide enough power to do critical care in a facility in the field where there's nothing else. Now, if you can also add to that a small diesel generator, because in some parts of the world, Congo had plenty of sun. Plenty of sun. <laughs> the panels in Congo were flat. Because <laughs> the sun is straight or red all the time. Even at night, I think. <laughs> so I have plenty of energy coming from the sun. But in many countries we go to, it's like maybe here, it's cloudy a lot. And the panels have to be tilted, so you don't get as much energy. So some parts of the world have better energy for solar than others. Solar energy is getting cheaper. It's a, good, it's a good approach, especially in rural remote areas. It's also good to supplement power that goes off and on a lot. This is what I see in Africa a lot. They have power, but it's so bad that you wouldn't want to hook up your expensive piece of equipment to that device because it might have that power because it could blow up. But money can be spent to provide um, either solar energy or a diesel generator to recharge those batteries as well. But that, that can get a little bit expensive. Because diesel fuel is very expensive now, even in, in the third world. It's, it's high everywhere. But power is a big issue in a lot of countries. We have people that go and do surveys in hospitals, and we carry along equipment to measure the quality of the power, and we can recommend 
what needs to be done to fix the electrical problems in that hospital so that you can use good equipment. Okay? Any more? How can Actually, all the folks that you have listed on your sheet, um, we have Jim Loeffler here with International Aid. We have Jenny, who's Executive Director of Tech. You can send them, and I'm not really trying to promote tech here because I'm not really supposed to do that. But tech is just a group of 120 different ministries that work together to help you. So you might call Jenny, and she says, oh, you need to talk to Jim Moore. And she can forward that over to me. Of course, I probably won't answer you because I'll be somewhere around the world. But, uh, I know so how to find him. She can put you in touch with the lab person, the imaging person, the, the supply person that does your particular, your, has your answer. And there are some great organizations that are not members of tech that we also work with too, so uh, just just, uh, just ask. Network. Don't make decisions on your own. Yes, ma'am. For those of us who minister overseas and can't call you on the phone, yeah. if we go to your website, can I find email addresses or... Or yes. websites for these other organizations. Yes. It's on the, it's on there, I think. What is the website? Um, my question is uh, a lot of ministries are having financial difficulties. Do you all have like the resources that you know people can use to get financial resources for their ministries? Money is always an issue with everyone. Uh, there are folks at tables out here that you can talk to about that. Uh, some of the things that we do, we don't charge for. If you get equipment from us, we pretty much give you the equipment. But if you ask me for a machine that I don't have and you've got to have it, then I'll purchase it for you. But I have to have uh, some money up front. And what I'll do is I'll take the equipment and we'll check it out. We'll ship it to you. And in some cases, we'll come and install it for you for no fees. But I don't have the money to be able to pay for whatever it is that you're doing in your facility. There are organizations that I talked to some folks out here today that got grants to outfit hospitals. We work off grants sometimes that someone has gone to the trouble to write, but I don't do grants. I don't know how. What was the website that we can go to contact? It's on your handout. It's techmd.org. Did you get a handout? You might just have a question you need to answer it on the phone, and if you'll send a message to Jenny, she'll forward it to one of us that can answer your question. We're, at, we're both exhibitors downstairs. We'll be here through the weekend, so if you want to stop by either the Samaritan's Purse World Medical Mission exhibit booth or the tech booth, we'll be down there and can answer some more questions. And get yeah, some more Jim questions. will be at the tech booth probably. He's helping us out with tech, and he can help you. He's a biomed tech. International Aid. We've got other people here that can help you, but if they're not here, we can get you the information you need, at least to help you with the decision. Really what we want to do today is give you the power to, to learn how to make the right decisions so that you won't invest and spend your money wastefully in the equipment that really won't work or you can't use. Do you have, like, who would be your tomorrow? Can I sit with you, like, 10 minutes? Sure. Who's downstairs? Okay? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.